right, I invite you to take your Bibles and let's open it to Ephesians chapter 1. Okay, Ephesians chapter 1. And just as we sung, um, God our shepherd shepherds us through his word. Um, one of the main ways that a shepherd, one of the main duties of a shepherd was to feed the sheep. And the last three things Jesus said to, to Peter, he says, do you love me? He says, yes. And then he said, feed my sheep, feed my sheep. And, and I believe that the text we're going to study tonight is, is a great, great um, comfort for us as sheep in a, a very dangerous world, very scary world, because we're going we're gonna to begin to scratch the surface of God's sovereignty, God's sovereignty over all things. And it takes faith to believe that in a world that looks out of control. So a good way to say it is God is in control of an out-of-control world. Both of those things are true at the same time. Um, And God has a master plan. And in this text, he reveals it to us. He tells us what the plan is. And so we have the great advantage of knowing the end already now. Um, So let's read it together. Um, We'll read from verse 7 up until verse 10. Hear the words of God. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of His will, according to His purpose, which He set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in Him, things in heaven and things on earth. It's the reading of God's word. Let's pray together. Father, please give us eyes to see. Please give us ears to hear. Please take our dull, unbelieving, hard hearts and lift it up, Lord, even right now, even in, this, in these moments, to see Christ and to see what you are doing. And I pray, Lord, that we won't... Um, because of our circumstances, interpret your sovereignty, but that we would interpret our circumstances through your sovereignty, through the lenses of your wisdom and kindness and grace. So, Father, please be gracious to us even as we study this. I pray that you will help us to understand it and help us to live in the light of it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So, the study of Ephesians 1, and remember it's one great poem from verse 3 to 14, one sentence in the Greek. It's, Paul takes us deeper and deeper and higher and higher into, it, into the clouds of eternity, you could say. And the more we study it, the more, the more reasons we get to bless our blessed God. So, verse 3 is really like the heading of it. Um, we should bless God who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing. And then he starts naming the blessings from verse 4. And notice that Paul looks back eternity past and he says he blesses and praises God in verse 4 that God has chosen us in him before the foundation of the world. He can praise God because God has predestined us for adoption as sons in verse 5. He can praise God because even so in eternity past he looks back and sees God had a plan all along. But then he looks in history, in time of history, and he praises God in verse 7 for the redemption of of Christ through his blood. So that it's kind of now shifting from eternity past into, into history of time. 
And so, although Paul is in prison, remember, he's writing this from prison. He's writing from prison, and yet he just praises and blesses God for these things. But it doesn't stop there. He doesn't stop with eternity past and time of history. Now he even looks eternity future and says, he sees what God is going to do, and he blesses God for that. So we see a past, present, and a future element into, in his praising of God. And what he's praising God for now is praising God that God has blessed his children with wisdom and insight. Wisdom and insight. Uh, the plan for the future. Now the problem when we start saying, um, you know, uh, mystery, if you look at verse, verse 8, he's lavished upon all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will. The moment we use words like mystery, the secret plan of God, we tend to think that it's only for a select few. You know, like, this is a secret which nobody knows, right? Or this is a mystery only the very highly intelligent can understand. But in the Bible, it's, that's not how mystery is used at all. Um, in fact, we, we see here the, the very fact that it's been written down in, in the Word of God means this is a mystery God wants all of His children to know. Imagine, it's almost like God calls all of his children into the family, family uh, living room and then tells them with open, openly, clearly, and with a joyful heart, sharing his eternal plans, his eternal heart with his children. So this is your um, lot as a child of God. The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belongs to us. And these are part of the revealed things that God wants us to know. And beloved, just think about this. What a privilege that is to already know what God is going to do. That is a tremendous blessing as you are sitting here in 2021 in South Africa, in Porch, in the middle of a chaotic and a confusing world, we already know what God is up to, what God is going to do, <laughs> what the future holds for us. To already know the end of this history and we already know our end, if you are a Christian, if you belong to Christ. And that, to know the end, from the, to know the end already now, gives you endurance in your present circumstance. It gives you hope, it gives you courage, it gives you strength to push forward when nothing in you feels like there's anything left to do that with. And the ability to know what God's secret plan is can be summed up with those two gifts in verse 8. So verse 8, when it says, He lavished upon us in all wisdom and insights that is that's actually part of this lavishing gift um, in verse 7 when he says um, or the beginning of verse 8 which he lavished upon us so it refers backwards to the grace in verse 7 right according to the riches of his grace which he lavished upon us but it also points forward it's part of this lavishing grace that God has given us wisdom and insight another way you can translate that word in when it says lavished upon us in all wisdom is along with so you could say, he lavished us with, upon us, along with all wisdom and insight. It's included into his grace. And that wisdom and insight is so that we can understand verses 9 and 10. So verses 8 says, here's wisdom and insight, so that you may be able to grasp verses 9 and 10, which is the revealing of the mystery. Okay, So that would be our outline. We're only going to look at those two gifts tonight. God lavished upon us all wisdom. And he also lavished upon us insight. So we're going to look at that. So first thing that God has lavished upon us as his children is all wisdom. 
Now, when we hear wisdom, we tend to think of skillful living, okay? And that's not necessarily a wrong um, understanding of wisdom, especially as you look at Proverbs. Proverbs, hochma, or wisdom means the art of living, the art to, to live life well. But in this context, wisdom refers to reality. What, real, what, is, what is really real? The, the, the ability to see into the true nature of things. Um, just to quote J.A. Robinson, she's a scholar and uh, he writes on this word. He says, wisdom is the knowledge which sees to the heart of things, which knows them as they really are. So, that, so when, when, when it says here that God has lavished upon us wisdom, it says that God's children have the ability to see into the heart of reality, of, of the heart of things that are really real. Let me give you maybe an illustration will help you. So think of a child. A child in this sense doesn't have any wisdom, right? They think my dad and mom has unlimited money because every time I ask for an ice cream, they can just buy it, right? Or they think that, you know, milk comes from pick and pay because that's where we, or from the fridge, there's always milk in there, so that's where the milk is produced. Or, so so that, is, that is a childlike understanding, but that's not wisdom because they don't see reality. They don't know what's really going on. Now, in contrast, adults have wisdom because we know, no, money isn't unlimited. Amen? All right. <laughs> okay. Seeing if you're awake. And that pick and pay doesn't produce milk. It, cows do, right? That's where the, the milk really comes from. So in the same way, wisdom for Christians is to, to know reality as they really are, which non-Christians cannot see, which unbelievers cannot know and understand. Now in this text, this wisdom is to know God's plans for the future. So there's three aspects. Sorry, I, I've missed this. Um, the first aspect is reality. So this wisdom is to, to know reality. Um, so for Christians, this reality is the unspeakable privilege of knowing what God is going to do with history, with where history is going. We know reality because we know our Creator. We know that His Son has come to this earth and He died for us in, in our place. And we know reality because God has revealed it to us. That's the second aspect of this wisdom. It is revealed. So we would have zero wisdom in this sense if God kept silent. We would have been groping around in the darkness trying to figure out what's going on if God did not reveal himself, but that's what he did. He revealed himself to us. And that's what we see in verse 8 and 9. It says, which he lavished upon us, and in verse 9, making known to us the mystery of his will. So it was a revealed, it's, it's, it's wisdom that's revealed to us. And here's the good news. If you maybe don't feel like you are the sharpest pencil in the packet or if you feel like okay there's other guys that are just incredibly more intelligent than me it doesn't matter in this sense right god you don't need a lot of brain power to know this mystery you just need to believe it you don't need to be hyper intelligent you just need to believe it so because mystery again doesn't refer to something in something difficult to understand like when we say women are a mystery Right? <laughs> you know what we mean by that? It's like, okay, you, you can't read. They, they, they're difficult. You can't really get into the mystery of that. But that's not what we mean when, when the Bible says mystery. In, in the Bible, when it says mystery, it means something that's impossible to know unless it's revealed. Something impossible to know unless 
it is revealed to us. Look at chapter 3, verse 2 to 5 quickly as well. Um, This is exactly what Paul says in chapter 3, verse 2. He says, Assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was what? Made known to me by revelation. And what what did Paul do with the revelation? As I have written briefly, when you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. You see, so mystery here is something that was concealed, but now revealed. And therefore, the good news is for us as God's children, all of God's children possesses this wisdom. The, the, the wisdom of reality, because God has revealed it to us. And that's why, according to the Bible and according to Paul, you can be a really, really smart person. You can have a PhD behind your name. You can be a fast reader, a quick thinker, or a shrewd businessman, or an excellent historian. But if you reject Jesus, you are a fool. You are a fool. Because you're rejecting about what, about what everything is about. The person that that everything is about. Because Christ is the wisdom of God. Christ is the the mystery. And that's the third aspect of this mystery. It's not just revealed specifically. It is Christ. So 1 Corinthians 1 verse 18. um, Listen to this. So Paul says, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. And in 1 Corinthians um, 1, 21, verse 24 says, For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and folly to the Gentiles, but to those of us who are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Christ is the wisdom of God. And we see it even in our text. Look at verse 9. It says, Making known to us the mystery of His will, according to His purpose, which He set forth in Christ. So Christ is the centerpiece of God's wisdom. He was the one that the the whole world is about, that the whole history of mankind is pointing to. That is the revelation. Christ was not just a plan to save people, and now we have to move on to something else. Christ is the plan to save us and to unite us and to unite all things. He is the secret plan of everything. He's the thread that runs through history, that that everything is about. And then Paul explains this wisdom to us in verses 9 to 10. So the wisdom of of verse 8 is the revelation of verses 9 and 10. And verse 10 shows us what the secret is. Look at verse 10. It says, as a plan... For the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven, and things on earth. So what makes this verse so difficult is if you have different translations, you would have noticed that your translation would sound much different than mine. Because the Greek is so nuanced and so so, uh, multifaceted that it's almost impossible to just translate it with one word. Um, So for example, the word plan. So in ESV it says that Christ is set forth as a plan. But that word uh, literally means administration or a household manager. Okay, so that's why the King James translates it as dispensation. Um, 
And, but this is the concept. The concept is, it's not just a plan. It's that God is actively administrating. He's organizing. He's managing the fullness of time. It really emphasizes his sovereignty over all things. So the plan, plan is a manager, um, an organizer. But secondly, the ESV unfortunately mistranslates the, the phrase fullness of time. So when you see that um, in verse 10, it says, as a plan for the fullness of time, that's actually mistranslated. Literally, and here the King James has it right, literally it means the fullness of times, plural. The fullness of times, all the times. And the, N the NET captures the, the meaning exactly right. So just get an NET and you'll be fine, okay? When it says, toward the administration of the fullness of the times. So the administration of the fullness of the times to unite all things in Christ. Times means seasons. So all the seasons of life, God is managing all the seasons of life to bring it back to Christ, to bring it towards His Son. So here, let's put it all together. What verse 10 is saying is that God is managing, orchestrating, administrating, overseeing all the seasons of history, of time, to bring it all together into one place to Christ that's what all of history has in common all of it is connected to God's plan in Christ and God is sovereign over all history for it is described as his administration you know we talk like we say Trump's administration or Biden's administration and we mean how they are uh, managing their presidency how they're ruling the country right well history is God's administration history is God's plan to bring all things together to Christ. And like any story, like any plan, like any administration, you need the full picture to make sense of any one season of this story. So some of you might be hearing this and say, but that, that, doesn't, that doesn't feel like good news. How can God be orchestrating, administrating COVID-19? How could he be managing or orchestrating my suffering? How could he be managing or orchestrating my difficulties, right? So that, that's where we start to struggle a little bit. But like any good story, you need the full story before you can make sense of the middle part of the story. We are not done yet. God isn't done yet. He is still busy administrating and orchestrating towards that one point when Christ will come and every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. And also, on a side note, God's sovereignty is the basis to trust in His promises. How can you trust that God will work all things together for good in your life if He's not in control of all things? You can't, you can't believe that promise unless He's sovereign, unless He is administrating, unless you really believe that whatever comes into your life comes to you, not by accident, but by the wise, loving plan of God your Father. That's what we need. That's why this is not bad news. This is our hope. This is our, our lifeline in 2021. This is what we should cling to when we feel like we're going to sink down into our depression and in our hopelessness and in our chaotic lives. We need this reminder that it's not random. It's not just random chaotic events. No, God is administrating all the seasons of life, of the times and what is the ultimate aim? What is the ultimate ending point? 
while the end of verse 10, it says, to unite all things in him, that, that is Christ, things in heaven and things on earth. Again, that word unite is also a fascinating word. It, it literally means to sum up or to head up everything into Christ. The one place where it's used as well is Romans 13 verse 9. Listen to Romans 13 verse 9 where the same word unite is used. It says, for the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up. That's, that's the same word. Summed up in this word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You see, so what Paul is saying is all the commandments have this in common. It's love. If you love your, your neighbor, you won't steal, you won't commit adultery, you won't break any commandment. If you love God, you will keep all the laws, right? So summed up and unite is the same Greek word. And so this is what Paul is saying in Ephesians. He says, how is history summed up? How can you, what is the golden thread? What is the uniting principle within all the, the seasons of history? What is the climax when this history has reached its end? And all of it is Christ. 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 Everything is about Him. And this is not just some things, but at the end of verse 10, things in heaven and things on earth. Now, I think if you want to know what that means, you have to look at a parallel verse in Colossians. So listen to Colossians 1, verse 19 to 20. This is the parallel. It says, For in Him, in Christ, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through Him to reconcile to Himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of, the, of His cross. So in, in Colossians... We're, it's talking as the cross as the means to reconcile everything in heaven and things on earth. So I think what this means is both a redeemed people to reconcile people to God and also to reconcile a hostile and broken creation to God. So it refers to both people and a physical universe. So this is a beautiful verse. It says when all history has reached its climax, all people that he has chosen, that he, will, that he has redeemed, will be united to Christ in his headship, and he will also restore our physical heaven and earth, our physical bodies, our physical sun, our physical moon, our physical world. All of it will be perfect without pandemics, without sickness or earthquakes or anything that could be frustrating to you. As the end of Revelation says, that he will make all things new. And this earth, even on its most beautiful days, is only a faint reflection of how beautiful that new creation is going to be. William P. Farley actually used this illustration. He says, this creation is like a gorgeous woman that falls out of bed without makeup, with her hair messed up, and with a bad breath. <laughs> okay? That's the best of this creation. It's still beautiful, <laughs> okay? But it's not as it could be. But the new heavens and the new earth will be like a bride walking down the aisle, right? Fully dressed, fully, fully beautiful, right? At, at, at her most beautiful. That's how the new heavens and new earth is going to be. It's going to be so breathtaking. It's going to be so amazing. And that's what's going to happen when Jesus comes again. So all things in heaven and things on earth will be united to Christ. And this wisdom is yours. To know this is yours. It's your inheritance from your father. This is knowledge you must, must hold dear to your heart. And believe it. That's the difference between just hearing it and really rejoicing in it, is to believe it. 
trust it. Believe that one, this day, today is one day closer to that day. So again, it doesn't matter if you are a doctor or a mechanic, whether you are a physiotherapist or a cleaner, whether you are a rocket scientist or a housewife. And just by the way, none of the, I'm not trying to make, okay, it sounds like I'm saying some of them are more intelligent than others, but, but my point is it doesn't matter what profession you are or how the world perceives you, as a Christian, you are wise because you know reality. You are wiser than the wisest people in this earth that doesn't know Christ. You have more insight into reality than your professors who reject Christ. Because you know Christ. You know the secret plan of God that is hidden for ages, that is now revealed to us. That we can now fully embrace and have our eternal hope in. Listen to 1 Corinthians 1 verse 30. Again, 1 Corinthians 1 verse 30. And because of Him... You are in Christ Jesus who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Christ is your wisdom. Christ is God's wisdom. And you have it. So this is something you should really, really embrace and rest in. But that's not all that God has given us. He hasn't just given us wisdom. He's also given us insight. Okay, so... The, the second word of verse 8 says, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. So that's the second blessing God has given us. Now, insight is actually more to our common or modern idea of wisdom. Insight here refers, wisdom refers to reality, how things are really, really like, while insight refers to the ability to live it out, to, to live, live out that reality into your life in specific situations. In other words, you could say wisdom is theoretical and insight is practical, is how to live it out. And God has given this to you as a Christian. You have the insight. Use it to live it out. So let me show just three ways I think this, this, how we should apply this wisdom in insight in our lives. And the first insight we surely must have is to have hope. That's an insight. To have real hope. Christians do not share in the pessimism of the world. We cannot share in that. Because we know how the story ends. The well-known atheist Richard Dawkins, he said, The universe we observe has at bottom no design, no purpose, no evil, and no good. Nothing but blind, pitiless indifference. That's the best. Atheist has <laughs> nothing. <laughs> they have nothing. And this is what I meant by if you reject Christ, that's your only alternative. It's to be a fool. It's to live as if nothing matters. For you won't be able to see anything of value, anything of worth, anything that's really real. But since Christians know the truth that the universe and all history is going to be summed up, we never lose our hope. We always have hope. The season in which you are currently in right now is part of God's administration. It's part of it. Have hope. Your story isn't meaningless. It isn't all of it just a random mistake. Listen to 2 Corinthians 4 verse 16 to 18. This is, these are the type of verses you need to take hold of and preach to yourself. It says, so we do not lose 
apart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. So we don't look primarily, so this doesn't mean deny reality, okay? Pretend like there's no pandemic. That's why we're wearing masks, okay? But don't make that your primary focus. Don't primarily focus on everything that's going on around you. Don't, don't look at this light, momentary affliction. And Paul, remember, Paul is saying these words, right? And he was like shipwrecked, beaten five times, 40 lashes minus one, hunger, poverty, rejected by people. And he says this light, momentary affliction. Because he has his eyes on eternity. So we have hope. But there's a second way we can have this insight now and live it out is by, we have this insight now by being part of a church where we can be one together as one body. So if, if God's people are one day going to be completely one, one of the ways we live it out right now is to be one with one another is to refuse to harbor bitterness in our hearts or unforgiveness in our hearts or to reject our brothers and sisters in Christ. No, we unite as Christians. That's really what the mystery is. In, look at um, chapter 3, verse 6. So we're going to study this, these texts in detail as well. But in 3, verse 6, he says, This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Did you see? So this part of this mystery in Christ is also a mystery of the church. How Jew and Gentile could now become family. Part of one body. And this is what makes this kind of exciting. Is that church is supposed, the way when people come into church and see the way we treat one another. When they see an Afrikaner, Boer Afrikaner. And uh, a Zulu or a Kosa, and uh, sorry if I, mis I know I mispronounced Kosa, like I know there's a click there, but I didn't, <laughs> right? But you're bearing with me, you like, you see, that's also part of the grace. But it, when, when, when someone enters into church and sees people from different cultures, different backgrounds, different languages, worshiping one God around one Jesus, they see a preview of heaven. They see a foretaste of what heaven is supposed to be like. And can you, do you now understand why church is so hard? Right? So where would the devil focus all of his energy? At church. Because if you can break that image, people lose the preview. People lose the trailer. Right? And our marriages as well, because marriage is also a picture of Christ and the church. So marriages and church, those two areas, Satan will do everything to destroy so we lose our picture of heaven, of what, of what church is supposed to be. So we live out this mystery in our inside by refusing to be racist. Refusing to treat one another differently based on our skin color. Or based on our politics. Or secondary matters. We refuse to let those things come in and disrupt us and split us apart. We refuse. No, we love one another, we pray for one another, we carry one another's burdens, 
we commit to one another, we show one another the love of Christ. We bear with one another. And by the way, you can't bear with somebody that's easy. Okay? You can't say amen, you have to say ouch. <laughs> okay. But we, we show the love of Christ by being part of a church, being part of one another. So let's fight for that. Let's fight for that unity now that we can be that preview, that we can be that foretaste of heaven even right now in this church by God's grace and His mercy. And here's the last, last insight I think this text should help us do. So we have hope. We, we pursue our unity with one another. And lastly, true insight is to wrap your life around Christ, is to pursue Christ. If he is the secret, if he is the mystery, if he is what all of world history is about, how foolish would you be not to pursue him, not to wrap your life around him? And this is what we ultimately need. We need Jesus himself. We need to become more like him. We need to make sure our lives are wrapped around him. And, and the great, amazing reality is to think about this is that we're not just waiting one day to be united to Christ. We're not just waiting in a, in a random... We already, if you believe in Jesus, you are already united to him in a spiritual union. If you know, you can already know Christ by faith in the life you live now. Listen to Jesus' own words, John 17, verse 3. John 17, verse 3, he says, This is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. This should be your driving goal of your entire life. shouldn't be to have X amount of money, to be married, to have children, to, to have that house or this position or this success, that is all temporary. Your driving goal of your life should be to know Christ, to love Him, to obey Him, to please Him, to submit to Him, to count it all lost for the sake of knowing Him. That's true insight. Because one day it's all going to be summed up anyway. So, if you don't bow now, you are going to bow later, but not, not willingly, not in love. As we read in Revelations, you're going to cry for the mountains to fall on you. So bow now, bow now while you have time, while you have breath in your, in your lungs, wrap your life around Christ. And if you do know him, rejoice. This is a tremendous privilege beyond your imagination. To know Him already, learn to wrap your life every day around Him and to pursue Him. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, we confess that we are very often dull of hearing and sometimes slow to believe these realities, the eternal truths that one day Jesus will return and he will wipe away every tear from our eyes. Lord, we struggle to even believe your promises that you work all things together for our good because you are in control of all things. All of history, all the seasons of, time, of the times are under your administration to unite all things in Christ, to head and sum up everything in him. 
Father, please help us to live out the wisdom and the insight that you have given us so freely. Help us to live it out, Lord, to pursue you, to pursue one another and to be united with one another, to be kind and gracious and to share your word with others so that they too might be united to Christ by faith. Father, please help us as we think through these, these implications for our lives. Even tomorrow, Lord, on a Monday morning when, when the world starts again, when it feels like everything is just back to normal, help us not to forget, but help us to reflect and take time every day to be with you and to know you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.